As the war between Gary and Shannon continues, heroes and villains become harder to identify. Gary and Shannon, separated at birth, fighting for their place in time to be solidified. The clock ticks faster and faster while time runs the marathon in this Babylon. But see, the end is only the beginning. The beginning of the calm before the storm. Handle's a tall guy. Why does he have his chair so high? He's already, what, 6'2"? Yeah, uh, yeah 6'1", I think. He was, and now it's... Anyway. Gary and Shannon on this uh, Monday, it's July 16th. There is so much going on, so much reaction to this meeting between President Trump and President Putin there in Helsinki, Finland, and that news conference that you heard here on KFI. This was crazy. This was something I think I've never seen before. Uh, I don't know if I would go so far as uh, to say what Anderson Cooper said when he said it was the most disgraceful performance by a U.S. president he's ever seen. I was gobsmacked when he said that out loud today on CNN. That was pretty amazing. But there's a lot that goes into this meeting that I was surprised at, that, that President Trump didn't go ahead and uh, and punch Vladimir Putin in the face like he was kind of saying he was going to. I mean, liter- not literally, of course, but that was something that I was expecting to see and we didn't get to see it. So we're going to talk a lot about this today. We're going to start with uh, Serena Marshall, who has been covering this story with us. And that was, I, I think you'll admit, one of the most unusual and highly anticipated news conferences we've seen between two world leaders in some time. I think both of those things are definitely fair to say, Gary. I, I mean, it was just a remarkable news conference. We had the president of the United States effectively siding with Russia against his own intelligence agencies, his own, the intelligence community here in the United States when it came to did Russia interfere in the U.S. election. I remember 17 of those intelligence agencies all said yes. The director of national intelligence, DNI Coates, just this past weekend said Russia is currently attacking the U.S. and the democratic process. The president's own national security advisor, John Bolton told uh, ABC's This Week yesterday, I find it hard to believe Vladimir Putin didn't know about Russian interference in U.S. elections. And then we had the president standing on the world stage, standing next to President Putin, basically saying, I have no reason to not believe Putin. He had a very strong and forceful denial uh, when he was asked point blank, who do you believe? That, I think, is going to be the takeaway from this, is that question specifically. Do you believe intelligence agencies that have been telling you that the Russians meddled in the election or do you believe Vladimir, Vladimir Putin, who says, I did nothing of this, I, this sort? Yes, and, and when he was asked that question, his answer, he responded by talking about the DNC server first, then Clinton's emails, and then see, said, I don't see any reason it would be uh, Russia, basically. And so it was just kind of stunning to hear those words come out of the president's mouth when he could have used it as an opportunity to not just – chastise them for their past behavior, but warn them against future behavior. And it seemed something that even his own administration as of yesterday probably didn't expect, considering Bolton's comments uh, to the Sunday shows. Uh, I alluded to the comment, and I'm going to play them a little bit later uh, in the next segment. Uh, Anderson Cooper, immediately after this news conference wrapped up, came on CNN and said, this is perhaps the most disgraceful performance by a U.S. president. I'm not going to ask you to comment on Anderson Cooper, but There are plenty of Republicans who have already been critical of that performance today as well. 
Oh, plenty of Republicans. Democrats definitely are, are uh, seizing on this press conference as well. But the Republicans' response is definitely something to, to behold. You have Lindsey Graham, who is sometimes a critic but often a supporter of the president, who said that he missed an opportunity to firmly, firmly hold Russia accountable. He called on Senate hearings in order to make sure there's no future meddling in elections. Jeff Flake is often a critic, but he said that uh, he never thought I would see the day when our American president would stand on the stage with a Russian president and place blame on the United States for Russian aggression. This is shameful. And these responses from Republicans are coming at the president, uh, basically, remember, during the campaign, said, I'll never apologize for America. And that seems to be exactly what he did during this press conference. I mean, the one positive that you can probably take away from this is President Trump has said that the relationship between the United States and Russia has been strained, to say the least, in the last few years. In fact, uh, President Putin said that in his opening statement, that, that we are uh, sort of in a time of great tension in this relationship, and it doesn't have to be that way. So if this, if going into it, the goal was just to set up another meeting or a series of other meetings, it appears that that goal was, was achieved. That goal was achieved, but remember, we're going into a midterm election year here, and the intelligence community is saying there's no question Russia is going to be trying to interfere in the upcoming election. And so for a U.S. president to not take this opportunity to warn against any future interference, to not uh, give, like, to, to not set a firm boundary with a, another uh, country is just something you don't expect to see from one of these bilateral meetings. Mm. This is going to be an interesting, uh, interesting reaction to this as we uh, get to go through some of the the specific wording of how it happened today. Thank you, Serena. Appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. Serena Marshall there with the latest on what's uh, what happened in this uh, meeting. Now, when we come back, I want to play for you a couple of, of pieces of sound. Number one, what I think is probably going to be the big takeaway from here when asked about whether he believed the intelligence agencies in the United States or a former KGB agent, when you ask him about whether or not they were involved in meddling in the United States elections, the president kind of obfuscated and walked away from an opportunity to really stick it to Vladimir Putin. In fact, there were a bunch of times when he could have poked this guy's eyes, and he never did. And I was expecting that. I was expecting the the bluster and the pomposity. But you know what it looked like? It looked like uh, the guy who was afraid to stand up to the guy he's been picking on the whole time. You know, he's been picking on him from a distance. Uh, he's been saying that, you know, that that we as the United States are better than Russia, but that Vladimir Putin is a competitor and then didn't ha- didn't seize the opportunity to to make a point in front of everyone. I don't mind if you embarrass the president of Russia. You might as well do it when you have the opportunity. And he had international audience, and he didn't take that opportunity. And we will talk more about this, and we'll talk about the one win that the president does get coming out of Helsinki. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon, a couple of the big stories that we're following today, we'll talk more about next hour in Yosemite. That fire has reached 9,300 acres and is only about 2% contained. They also said they, uh, a 36-year-old firefighter was killed fighting that fire on Friday night into Saturday morning. Apparently a bulldozer that he was on uh, flipped over. Also, the suspect in that chainsaw attack we told you about last week, we now know, uh, I think he's in court today, he had been deported 11 times. So put that in your file.
while you're making arguments about uh, whether or not our immigration system needs to be fixed. And also, of course, the Trump-Putin meeting that took place in Helsinki and the news conference that you heard live here on KFI. Uh, If nothing else, if nothing else, this opens the door for future meetings between the United States and Russia. Why? Because we, we treated him like a puppy. We didn't do anything. What I thought was interesting was going into this weekend, everyone was excited. I'll take that back. I was excited. I was excited to see the the strong language that President Trump puts out there about all these foreign leaders. It offends a lot of people, right? He he makes people uh, uncomfortable the way he talks about people like Angela Merkel or Theresa May, or he's critical of the president of Mexico, or or he's uh, he's upfront with his criticism of the president of China, something like that, right? Up to this point, he hasn't been that critical of Vladimir Putin. So I was expecting going into this, and I don't know why, I feel like I've been, uh, had the rug pulled out from under me or the football pulled out before I was going to kick it. But I was expecting him to come in with that same bluster into this meeting, especially considering we had the indictment of these 12 Russian military agents accused of, uh, breaking into the Democratic National Committee computers and the uh, the the I guess the Democratic Congressional Committee, uh, Congressional Election Committee computers, etc. Why wouldn't you then take that in there and, and get upset? I mean, one of the examples of what could have been said possibly was Trey Gowdy. This is what he was expecting. Your first request of Vladimir Putin needs to be, tell us which airport we can pick up the 25 Russians that tried to interfere with the fundamentals of our democracy. Okay, a little up front, a little, uh, little forward, but definitely something that was within the purview of what the president could say, right? I mean, we have the information. We have intelligence agencies that say that Russia tries to meddle in the election. What the president has done a poor job of doing is separating two issues. I believe, and everyone I know believes, that Russia tried to jack with our elections. The question of whether or not they tried to get Donald Trump elected is totally different. But but it's clear, at least evidentiarily, a lot, of, a lot of syllables there. It's clear that Russia did jack with our elections. And the president doesn't have a very good grasp on clearing up the two issues there. He has admitted before that Russia did, in fact, meddle with the elections. But his argument, and the one that he always falls back on, is, but that meddling didn't get me elected. And he brought it up again today. He had to mention, of course, his 306 electoral votes. He's in Helsinki, Finland. You think they give a damn about what the Electoral College does or who that? They don't understand what 306 electoral votes means. But he he keeps messing that up. He keeps he doesn't do a good job of separating those two issues, the election meddling and the potential collusion. Everyone admits there was meddling, but there has yet to be evidence that they worked with the campaign to get Donald Trump elected now. John Bolton, to push back on what Trey Gowdy was saying, John Bolton says you don't go into these meetings and start demanding things that are never going to happen. I think it's pretty silly for the president to demand something that he can't get legally. 
Uh, and this is a very serious matter. You know, the Russians take the position, you can, you can like it or not like it, uh, that their constitution forbids them to extradite Russian citizens. I think uh, for the president to demand something that isn't going to happen uh, puts the president in a weak position. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with John Bolton on that, that it would put him in a weak position. Had he done this, and even if it was in private, he didn't even have to come out in this news conference and say, yeah, well, I stuck my big American finger into his little Russian chest and I demanded that they turn over these Russian agents. He didn't have to do that. He could have done it in private, in closed doors, and just set the table and said, listen, we're not going to stand for it. We don't have to make a big public show of this, but unless I get some bodies, some Russian bodies into the United States, extradited to face trial, whatever. I mean, it doesn't even have to go that far. But unless the president says that to Vladimir Putin, listen, we're not going to stand for it anymore, and I'm going to go out there in the next few minutes, and I'm going to act all nice-nice and pretend that we're friends. But trust me, we're not. And if this continues, there will be hell to pay. That's all he had to do. He never did that. The, the language that he used in all of this was odd. It was conciliatory. For a guy who spends all of his time talking about how tough he can be in a negotiation, he looked like a coward today. And it was odd. It was just an odd look for him because he's always so blusterous. He's so confident. He's so uh, overconfident at times. He got out there and just kind of pansied his way through this thing. He was asked specifically. This is the question. He was asked about intelligence agencies, whether he believes our intelligence agencies or Vladimir Putin. Why was the FBI told to leave the office of the Democratic National Committee? I've been wondering that. I've been asking that for months and months, and I've been tweeting it out and calling it out on social media. Where is the server? I want to know where is the server and what is the server saying? With that being said, all I can do is ask the question. My people came to me, Dan Coates came to me and some others. They said they think it's Russia. Uh, I have uh, President Putin. Uh, He just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be, but I really do want to see the server. Uh, But I have uh, I have confidence in both parties. I I really believe that this will probably go on for a while, but I don't think it can go on without finding out what happened to the server. Okay, then he's going to go on to the the Hillary Clinton email server. That's fine. I mean, that's an issue he's going to go back to. He didn't push back when when they brought this up. Vladimir Putin says um, that he will look into extraditing these 12 Russians that were indicted by the grand jury last week. And he's added he's not familiar with the with it to the fully extent of the matter. He says, I don't know the full extent of the situation. President Trump mentioned the issue. I will look into it, he said via the translator. I will look into it. Well, new to me, is what he said. And all the president had to do was turn and look at him and say, you know damn well what we're talking about. You're neck deep in this thing. Members of the Russian military don't do stuff like this unless it's ordered from above. They're not freelancers here. That's all he had to say. He just had to hold them to the carpet. To, to push back on some of the BS that was coming out of Putin's mouth. And it just felt like he didn't do it. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say what Anderson Cooper did. But immediately after this news conference today, I mean, immediately, the, the presidents shake hands. They're not even off the podium yet. Anderson Cooper in Helsinki 
from the little set that CNN puts up. Uh, you have been watching perhaps one of the most disgraceful performances by an American president uh, at a summit in front of a Russian leader, uh, certainly that I've ever seen. Uh, an extraordinary uh, press. There was one. In fact, there was one person, John Brennan, former, I think, director of national intelligence, if I'm not mistaken. John Brennan, a former CIA director, sorry. He said in a tweet soon after the end of the news conference, President Trump's press conference in, in Helsinki rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors. And said that it was treasonous. No, it wasn't treasonous. It was just pansy. And that's what left everyone feeling ugh, less than satisfied about that. We'll come back and talk more about this in Swamp Watch at 1230. But when we come back, Elon Musk has some choice words for one of the uh, one of the cave rescuers in Thailand. Remember, they didn't need his little Elon Musk Tesla submarine, boy-shaped submarine. Uh, he fired back in a way that I thought was a little aggressive. We'll explain what he said when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon... Shannon's out today. She'll be back. Don't worry. Uh, it is Monday, July 16th. I don't get people worried. I mean, people... Is she coming back? Yes. I just saw her yesterday. Side note. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. First of all, uh, big deals today, of course. The president uh, meeting with President Putin in Helsinki, Finland. A lot of criticism has been uh, has been coming in from both sides of the aisle, actually, for that news conference that took place when a lot of people said that... Uh, that Vladimir Putin comes out the winner in all of this because he definitely handled President Trump. And uh, the pre- our president sort of buckled under a question when it, it was very clearly stated, do you trust American intelligence agencies who say that Russia meddled in the election? Or do you trust Vladimir Putin who says Russia didn't meddle and would never do such a thing? Uh, the Yosemite fire is now at 9,300 acres, only 2% contained. We'll do an update on that in the next hour. And then... The suspect in that chainsaw attack, you remember he uh, attacked his wife in front of the kids with a chainsaw last week? He'd been deported 11 times. Elon Musk was making headlines last week because he, I don't know, it's not clear to me, if he volunteered or was asked to help out with the Thai soccer cave rescue. And it took a bizarre turn over the weekend because... He tweeted some criticism of the the cave rescue and was sort of making suggestions that the Thai government and the governor of that region of Thailand was making it a lot more dramatic than it needed to be, suggesting that the water level was actually very low and still not flowing and that you could literally swim to Cave 5 with no gear, which is obviously how the kids got in. He's, this is again, these are his tweets from yesterday. If not true, then I challenge this dude to show the final rescue video. He's referring to a British diver. I'll get to that guy in a second. But he says, Elon Musk says, huge credit to pump and generator team, unsung heroes here. All right. So I don't know if, if Elon Musk knows the whole story, but the kids, when they went into the cave, it was dry. They were caught in a massive rainstorm, which flooded the cave. That's how they got to where they were. They didn't have to swim. They were dry. At one point. Now, what Elon Musk says about British cave diver Vern Unsworth, he was there, he participated in the rescue. 
Uh, Unsworth had apparently made fun of Elon Musk's plan to put that little tiny submarine to rescue the children. If you remember, this thing was about six feet long. It looked like a missile casing from a from a bad Dr. Strangelove video, right? Where you would put a boy in that tube, in that missile, and basically carry that. So it's this, I don't know, hyperbaric chamber to keep the kid alive while you're dragging him through the underwater caves to get him to safety. The diver made fun of Elon Musk's plan. Saying something like, he can stick his submarine where it hurts... It just has absolutely no chance of working. He was also critical of the of Elon Musk because he showed up after some of the kids had already been rescued. Elon Musk tweets back, he'll send a sub through the cave to prove that it would have worked, could have worked, and then said, quote, We will make one of the mini sub pods going all the way to cave five, no problemo. Sorry, pedo guy. You really did ask for it. Pedo. P-E-D-O or pedo, however you want to pronounce it. Like, that this guy's a pedophile? And then people fired back Elon Musk saying, hey, how could you level such a crazy accusation against this guy? And Elon Musk says, I'll bet you a signed dollar it's true. Um... Elon Musk has since deleted all of those tweets. Hmm. He says, I never saw another one of the deleted tweets. I never saw this British expat guy who lives in Thailand, S-U-S. I would read that to be suspicious. Uh, I never saw this British expat guy who lives in Thailand at any point when we were in the caves. Only people in sight were the Thai Navy guys who were great. Thai Navy SEALs escorted us in. Total opposite of wanting us to leave. Um, That's because Vern Unsworth, I believe, was one of the first guys who actually made it to the kids. Like, he was one of the two or three guys who went into the cave and kept going farther and farther until they found those kids. This is the weirdest, this is the oddest celebrity uh, troll fest I think I've seen. There's another writer for The Federalist who says that this criticism, this grandstanding that Elon Musk is doing, is exactly what's wrong with Tesla in general. That sometimes these guys like cave divers know how to do things like dive in caves. And sometimes even if you are the smartest guy in the room, Elon Musk, or you employ the smartest guys in the room, Tesla engineers... It doesn't mean that you know exactly what's going on when you're trying to dive through tiny little caverns that are filled with water. Publicity is less important than results is another thing that they write. The publicity is clear. Getting a lot of publicity, commanding the loyalty of an army of online fanboys is not as important as actually getting the job done. Because look, we're still talking about the lives of 13 people and 14 if you count the seal that died. But the 12 soccer players and their coach, those lives were saved. So just because Elon Musk showed up, and by the way, thank you for showing up and putting money into a small boy submarine. That sounds odd, doesn't it? That sounds just as odd as as suggesting that this other guy's a British a pedophile living in Thailand. It's odd to say things like little boy submarine. Hmm. Huh.
gross. All right, we come back. We've done this story a couple of times, but for the first time, somebody in San Francisco, the city of San Francisco, the leadership in the city of San Francisco is admitting that their town smells like crap. The mayor of San Francisco talks about the feces in the street seas. Next. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon, the president today in this big, uh, much-awaited news conference with uh, Vladimir Putin did not denounce the Russian involvement in uh, election meddling in the 2016 election and uh, did not demand the extradition of 12 military agents that have been accused of meddling. It was, to be honest, one of those weird, uh, odd, at the very least, it was an odd news conference between these two guys because President Trump, lost the boisterous, loud, blustery personality that he had and kind of folded next to Vladimir Putin. By the way, Putin had a taller podium. I think he was standing on a box because he almost looked like he was about a, a, within an inch of the president's height. And Vladimir Putin's a cute little squirrel of a man. And Donald Trump's got to be 6'3", I think. I don't know how they came up close to each other, but uh, they uh, he had a... Higher podium. And did also, you hear that uh, Putin was like a half hour late to the meeting? Is that what caused it? To... Well, that delayed the start of it. Then they ended up talking longer than scheduled. But I was like, oh, there's another power play. Totally. Total power play. It's not like he's in It's not like he's in Moscow and his like wife calls him and says, honey, you forgot to pick up the dry cleaning. He's in a completely different city. Uh, what's he going to do in Helsinki besides go to this meeting? Anyway. Uh, Yosemite fires up to 9,300 acres. It is responsible for the death of at least one firefighter. One guy was killed uh, late Friday night into early Saturday morning when his bulldozer flipped over. We'll update that coming up next hour. And then the what? It is Amazon Prime Day today, but it starts at, it starts at noon. noon, right? Noon hour time. So in the one o'clock hour, Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us. We're going to talk more about Amazon Prime Day, where it came from even, and why it's turned into sort of the Cyber Monday of the summer. Well, welcome to the city by the sea. The city by the bay can't say the word that I want to say when I say city. But just let's say I was shushing you when you went to the city by the bay. San Francisco's got a new mayor. She was just sworn in a couple of days ago. Her name is London Breed. She's born and raised in, uh, in San Francisco. And... She has been talking about the money that homeless advocacy groups get in the city of San Francisco. Right now, they say, listen to this cute little number, they've only got about 7,500 homeless people in the city of San Francisco. That seems like a cute little number. There's 7,500 homeless people in the city of Burbank. There's 7,500 homeless people, they say, in the city of San Francisco, and they pay, the city does, $280 million a year on housing and services for the homeless. That's about a 40% increase compared to just five years ago. You know what else is increasing when it comes to the homeless population in San Francisco? The poop on the streets. London Breed did an interview with NBC Bay Area where the reporter asked her, first question, uh, what about all the poop on the street? You're a native of San Francisco. Is this the worst you've seen that? I will say um, that there is more. there's more feces on the sidewalks than I've ever seen, you know, growing up here. That was something that did not, wasn't the norm. That you've uh, ever seen. Than I've ever seen, for sure. And that is a huge problem. And we're not just talking about from from dogs. We're talking about from humans. Okay. All right. 
I think it's safe to say that all of us grew up in places where there wasn't human feces on the street. It's pretty safe to say. Barring some sort of a sewage accident, we grew up in places where there was not piles of crap on the sidewalk. And she's making it sound like, eh, it just happens. It just, I don't know, maybe somebody had a Thanksgiving dinner the night before. Just seems like there's more than there was the other day. What? And then this, the reporter just moves on. How can a city with some of the most expensive rent prices in the world also have neighborhoods that are being compared to actual slums? Wait, wait, wait hold on a second. You as a reporter have an op- obligation to go back and ask the mayor, are you suggesting that poop in the streets, there is an acceptable level of it? It's just now that we've reached that point in San Francisco where it's not okay anymore? Like, maybe two or three piles Per block is okay. But once we reach above that threshold of two or three blocks of crap or two or three piles of crap per block, how you get away with that? There's more feces on the sidewalks than I've ever seen. Okay. She does say that she wants to get these homeless advocacy groups to get their clients, interesting word, to get their clients to do a better job of respecting the community. At the very least, she wants the city, uh, these advocacy groups, to better educate the homeless to clean up after themselves. Do you remember why Jerry Sandusky said he was showering with 12-year-olds? Because they didn't know how to do it themselves. That's what he was telling people. He just wanted to make sure that the 12-year-old knew how to apply soap to parts of his body and then rinse. Why you would suggest that homeless people don't know how to clean up after themselves is silly. They it's not and here's the thing. It's not even like they're they're dropping it where the where the corner of the building meets the sidewalk and then picking it up and throwing it in the gutter, which I guess would be a step in the right direction. They're just leaving it there. They're just leaving it there. This is the same TV station by the way that came out a few months ago with the survey of how dirty is San Francisco where they looked at 153 blocks of downtown San Francisco, 153 blocks, includes Union Square, some major hotel chains, Van Ness Avenue, Market Street, Grant Avenue. It's also home to City Hall and playgrounds and a police station. They found a dozen hypodermic needles scattered across one block and 303 piles of feces. All of it assumed to be human feces, but feces. In fact, the reporter points that out at the very end of his story. Now, just to give you some perspective here, the number of complaints to the city's 311 hotline about human feces scattered across neighborhoods has doubled in just the past three years. With the investigative unit, I'm Begat Shaban. Hi, Begat Shaban. Listen, we do need a Shaban on that, don't we? we got to ban people from shizzing on the, on the streets. And the city of San Francisco now runs into this very real possibility. It's going to be known as the city by the bay. That if I could say it, we'll edit, maybe we'll edit it in for the podcast, the word that I can not say. But you know what I'm saying. The city by the bay, if they don't get out in front of this and prevent people from pooping on the streets. Aren't they already behind it? Oh, that's a horror. Getting out in front of it is a stretch. They're stepping in it. How's that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Good. Update on the Yosemite fire when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon.
Big stories today. Obviously, the big news conference that took place this morning, our time, between Presidents uh, Trump and Putin. And uh, what, if anything, President Trump asked of uh, President Putin when it comes to the election meddling from 2016. There was a pretty telling moment in that news conference when a reporter asked the president, our president, who do you trust? Do you trust American intelligence agencies who say that Russia meddled in the election, or do you trust Vladimir Putin, who said that they didn't? And uh, outside some obfuscation, it was hard to tell exactly where he landed on the uh, answer to that question, but it seemed like he was siding more with Vladimir Putin and even asked, why would they meddle in the election? So it's a it's a bizarre thing going on, and we'll get for more, some more uh, reaction to that in 12, uh, the 1230 segment when we get into Swamp Watch. Also, the uh, the suspect in that chainsaw attack from last week had been deported 11 times. We're going to update that story in just a few minutes, but we're going to start with the uh, Yosemite fire. It's uh, technically called the Ferguson fire. It's actually burning just south of the the park, the Yosemite National Park. And they're saying that the acreage now is at 9,266. So we're just shy of 9,300 acres, only about 2% containment. Uh, Highway 140 into the park has been closed. There's several of those little communities in that area that have been evacuated. As of just a few minutes ago, in fact, the Mariposa County Sheriff uh, issued an evacuation advisory for the Yosemite West area. Um, the evacuation uh, evacuated areas, in effect, Briceburg to Cedar Lodge on Highway 40, uh, Mariposa Pines north of Bear Clover. An evacuation advisory has been posted. It's not mandatory, but it's an advisory for the Jerseydale area. What uh, what makes this particularly interesting uh, is a couple of things. Number one, there was a, uh, a firefighter who lost his life fighting this fire very early Saturday morning. Uh, I have some more sound here, Tony. This is uh, this is from Cal Fire Unit Chief Nancy Corporich. This it's not a Cal Fire event, but they obviously are uh, taking part in the firefight. Braden is survived by his mom Lynn, his wife Jessica, has a small. Baby girl Malia and son Nolan at five and three. Uh, the conditions that he was in at the time, he's a bulldozer operator, heavy equipment operator with Cal Fire. And uh, they are saying that he, the, the bulldozer flipped, basically, uh, rolled over and crushed him. He was, he's been in that Madera Mariposa Merced unit for a decade. And, uh, and like the unit chief there said, leaves behind a couple of, uh, of little kids as well. Because of the location of the dozer rollover, there isn't an ability for us to get in there and, and get him out right now. Reminded me, unfortunately, of the uh, the firefighter who was killed last year fighting the Thomas fire. You remember that uh, they had to basically wait before they could go in and uh, and find him and, and get him out of there. Braden Varney, by the way is a second-generation firefighter. His dad also worked at Cal Fire and was also a heavy equipment operator. It tumbled down, uh, his bulldozer tumbled down a steep canyon while he was cutting away the vegetation to protect the Jerseydale area in case the fire was moving in that direction. Started at about 8.30 Friday night, and at some point, they said, the radio contact with him was lost. So they don't even know exactly when this happened. And they couldn't say whether that happened in darkness or several hours later by the time the light came back or the sun came back up. But he said it's not unusual for a dozer operator like this to work basically kind of out on their own and in complete darkness. It's common practice for them to be doing that. They, uh, 
they were able to spot the bulldozer from air by about eight o'clock Saturday morning, uh, and the crew confirmed his death. But because of because of the way the terrain was laying, they say today is going to be the earliest they're going to be able to go in and get that. Now the death is still under investigation, but as this fire continues to grow in Yosemite, the second part of this is the amazing amount, and I'm, I'm amazing is not a positive here. The amazing amount of absolute dead and dying trees throughout that area of the Sierra Nevada, the mountain range, where this is just, this has been waiting to happen. Yes, it is a matter of nature's cycle where wildfires have come through California for a bazillion years and will continue to blow through California for a bazillion years. But this is now getting into these areas in these neighborhoods. I told you about those areas that have been evacuated where this is not just as simple as, hey, let's let it burn through most of the park, and uh, in a few years we'll be back to normal. It's not the way this is going to go. The uh, Like I said, the death of Braden Varney is still under investigation, but uh, he was working on the line with the teams trying to contain the fire when he was killed, and most of them, when they go in the, to these areas, they're very inaccessible, at least in terms of other heavy equipment or even uh, air crews to get in there. They can't necessarily land because of the forest, and they're going to have a hard time getting anybody in there. They, the idea that Cal Fire is losing people like this is terrifying. Corey Iverson was the one I was talking about that had died uh, of burns and smoke inhalation while fighting the Thomas Fire over in Ventura County. And a, a spokesman for Cal Fire said he couldn't recall firefighter deaths coming so close together in California in many years, and he said that this year tens of thousands more acres have burned in the state than last year. And once again... We're seeing the term extreme fire behavior, and everybody needs to be incredibly careful. They have zero idea, at least they haven't said publicly, how this fire started, uh, if it's human-caused, if it's something else that's going on. But the uh, the state, the, the National Forest Service is the one in charge of all of this in terms of this fire specifically. Cal Fire just happens to be helping out. So that's uh, going to be a, a headline, I think, for the next few days as that fire continues to grow. All right, uh, coming back, bizarre case of a guy attacking his wife with a chainsaw. We told you about it last week, and now we know that this guy should never have been anywhere close to his wife in Chula Vista as where he was finally arrested. We'll talk about why he should have been any place other than the United States of America when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon's out on vacation. Amy King is over there with an update. Gary and Shannon. Well, the uh, feedback continues to come in from one of the big stories today, the meeting between President Trump and Vladimir Putin in Helsinki. John McCain has uh, made his piece known and said that that was one of the most, to borrow Anderson Cooper's words, one of the most disgraceful performances in memory by a U.S. president. Senator McCain said that the president made a conscious choice to defend a tyrant. Um, We'll talk more about this at 1230 when we get into Swamp Watch because, I mean, just... Both sides of the aisle, I feel, were uh, highly unsatisfied with the way this news conference went today. So we'll talk about that. The Yosemite fire that's technically called the Ferguson fire, but the one burning near Yosemite has doubled in size up to 9,300 acres. uh, Just 2% containment in an area that's just ripe for an explosion of fire. The the dead and dying trees in that area of the Sierras are just uh, frightening. And also, uh, get your clickers ready. It's Amazon Prime Day today. I don't even know what I'm... I don't even understand it, but stuff goes on sale at noon. <laughs> you don't understand it? Well, I mean, like, what stuff? Like, yes, they send everything. you all these emails, but they don't... Amy, name is it. it everything? What do you want? I want a MyPillow. You got it. <laughs> the best deals are usually 
tech stuff. Yeah. And yeah. and some well, of it is like, hey, who doesn't need a Garfield keychain for nine cents? So it's crappy stuff. Eh, not all of it. Some of it is really, really good. I'm, I'm sure that the Amazon stuff as well, like their, their fire tablets and the Amazon TV and... Uh, all of that stuff is they they usually do great deals on those. But you can get really fun stuff. Like last year, I got my dinosaur um, uh, <laughs> soup. Whatever ladles. you're gonna, whatever fini- no, whatever you finish that di- with, they're is dinosaur not- soup ladles, and they're really cute. And they were like five bucks for a set of three. Wait, I might want one. Okay, I want those. So, so <laughs> Amy's gonna get a Garfield keychain. No, I don't and want a dinosaur keychain. soup ladle. I would like those, and I want the my pillow. And a my pillow, man, you're in for a good day. All right. Uh, at the bottom of this hour, we're going to tell you about the story of, uh, that, that was pretty interesting over the weekend in the L.A. Times about the use of teenagers as drug mules in an attempt to bring drugs into the United States, how they're making money for their families by doing this. But it also uh, brought this to my attention. The story from last week, Alejandro Villegas attacked his wife at their home in Whittier on Wednesday. And if you remember the story, what made it particularly spectacular in a negative sense was that he attacked her with a chainsaw in front of his kids. I think 10, 8, and 5, I think, is the ages of the kids. They saw this whole thing. They're they're okay. They weren't hurt. Um, he then took off in a stolen car. He actually took his car and then carjacked another car and took off. The woman, uh, his wife, was transported to a local trauma center. She underwent surgery, and they said that she's uh, recovering. She is expected to survive despite being attacked. By a chainsaw. I should say with a chainsaw. By a crazy guy. Now, as uh, as he was fleeing over the course of about 24 hours, they finally pick him up down in uh, Chula Vista in this uh, stolen car. And they take him into custody. Uh, even though he tries to ram a police car, they take him into custody without handing him his own ass, which is, uh, I guess, surprising. Police said that he'd be booked at the Whittier Jail on suspicion of attempted murder, child endangerment, hit and run, grand theft auto, blah, 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 blah. Here's the key. When you do uh, drop a little dime to immigration and customs enforcement while you still can before somebody tries to dismantle the organization, you drop a dime to ICE and you go, hey, uh, just a quick question. Would you guys do me a favor and run this name? Alejandro Alvarez Villegas. What comes up when you guys uh, run that through your computer? Lori Haley, a spokeswoman for ICE, says, oh, funny you should ask. He is a serial immigration violator who has been removed from the United States 11 times, 11 times in the last 13 years. 11 times. Basically once a year for the last 13 years. Depending on criminal history, somebody who is in the United States illegally, who comes back into the U.S. after having been deported even once, has committed a felony. That would be punishable by up to 20 years in one of our federal prisons, of course, because we get to pay for it. Now, not much of a criminal history on this guy, at least none that ICE provided, other than the fact they know he has been deported 11 times, which means he's come back 12. They said that he pleaded no contest about five years ago to one count of unlawful possession of a controlled substance, one count of using or being under the influence of a controlled substance. Later that year, again, you've already been in trouble once and you can't keep your nose clean. Later that year, he pleads no contest to a DUI. And those are just the, those are just the ones that we know about. 
And then, of course, last week's attack with a chainsaw against his wife, causing traumatic physical injuries. Oh, uh, did I also mention that the hit and run and uh, potentially running down a police officer with a car right before he was arrested? The... The other people who have been involved in this, Whittier Police, I believe it is, uh, Officer John Scoggins said that they were not aware of anything about Alvarez's immigration status or what's going on from that end, that they don't have any other information about past domestic violence or assault and battery or anything like that. So there was no indication, at least to them, according to Whittier Police, that this guy had any sort of a violent past, right? So throw that into your hopper. When you want to argue whether or not somebody should be deported 11 times. And you got to throw this all into the mix in this this ridiculous call for people to abolish immigration and customs enforcement. Now, I've gotten emails from people who have said, now, listen, ICE is just doing things that it wasn't originally designed to do. I I don't and I'll say this clearly. I don't care. I don't care if Customs and Border Protection is physically on the border. There has to be something inside the borders of the country that also does immigration enforcement. So uh, you can abolish ICE if you want, but you've got to have something to replace it. Or do you fold ICE back into Customs and Border Protection all under the uh, umbrella of Homeland Security? I don't care. But this idea that you want to abolish ICE because you consider it a terrorist organization, this is exactly the kind of guy that needs to be on the radar of an organization like ICE. Because if you don't mind some guy who's been deported 11 times from wherever country he came from, if you don't mind a guy who's been deported 11 times living next door to you, then call ICE, let them know you have a facility that would like to handle somebody like Alejandro Viega. You have a a house in your neighborhood, and you would like Alejandro to come live next to you. This headline that this guy has been, that he's been deported 11 times and come back 12, should, should be matched up with every Democratic politician or any politician, regardless of their party, who's calling for the abolition of immigration and customs enforcement. This is exactly the kind of guy that you need ICE for. When we come back, the story of smuggling, using kids to smuggle drugs across the border. Find some destitute kids. They'll do anything for a thousand bucks, including strapping a couple grams of, uh, of H to their bodies just to come across the border, hoping that they don't get caught so that they can send a thousand bucks to mom. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Shannon's out today. She'll be back. Don't worry. Amy King has an update on the news. Gary and Shannon. The uh, biggest story today is and will continue to be the Vladimir Putin Donald Trump meeting in Helsinki. The two presidents held a news conference uh, earlier this morning. Heard it live during the Handel Show, and uh, former CIA Director John Brennan said that. President Trump's performance today rose to and exceeded the level of high crimes and misdemeanors, called it treasonous the way he handled this meeting. I just thought he was kind of pansy compared to what he's done in other uh, news conferences in the past. But he was afraid it looked like I don't know if that's the right word. He 
he was unwilling to be aggressive towards Vladimir Putin in this news conference. So we'll talk more about that at, uh, at 1230 when we get into Swamp Watch. The Yosemite fire, the Ferguson fire burning near Yosemite is doubled in size. It's up to 9,300 acres. That was the one that uh, killed a firefighter when his bulldozer flipped over early Saturday morning, it looks like. And uh, Amazon Prime Day, uh, just about 30 minutes from now, if you're interested in buying my pillow and a Garfield keychain. <laughs> Uh, there is a package deal. You can get both of them together, Amy, just so you know. Um, talked about this guy who was deported 11 times, the suspect in that chainsaw attack in Whittier. There was another uh, There was another article that in the L.A. Times this weekend, which I thought was really interesting because it, it points to one of the programs that allows uh, people who live along the border in Mexico to come into the United States on a regular basis. And there are all kinds of uh, – reasons why someone would come into the United States where you've got uh, a border crossing card because you're considered low risk. Um, It's because you're going to go to high school in the United States, even though you might live in Tijuana. Uh, You work in the United States, even though you live across the border, whatever it is. I mean, there's there's probably hundreds of people, if not a couple thousand of people each day who cross that border legally and then go back home. That means that you've got all kinds of teenagers specifically, and I'm just talking about the teenagers because those are the ones who are going to be coming to school and are probably considered the lowest risk. They're going to come to the United States, and drug cartels are going to use them as the mules to get drugs into the United States. Much less likely that a 16-year-old kid with a border card Going to high school in the United States five days a week is going to be searched every day. And the drug cartels know this. There was a student at Castle Park High School in Chula Vista told authorities that he had smuggled drugs more than 20 times, sometimes twice a day. And he was being paid about $400 a trip. And he was finally arrested in July uh, last year, I guess it was, at Otay, Otay Mesa with more than a kilogram of methamphetamine strapped to his legs. He also said, I'm not the only one. He had several friends who were smuggling drugs as well. And the kids that were most often recruited for such work were these frequent border crossers, these ones with these border crossing cards who would come to the school in the United States. And there's even a potential that they were on first-name basis with some of these border guards. Think of that. So if they have the card and they're they're a regular customer at the border... Chances are that they'd they'd get through without being searched. A lot of these kids are pressured into this by their friends. Others might have grown up in the drug culture. They're following their older brother or their older sister's footsteps. In fact, the teenager that uh, that was arrested in this case was recruited by a cousin's boyfriend. And although, obviously, they do it for cash, they do it to either have their own cash or maybe they feel like their family's under pressure and they need to do it for the family. Cash for prom night, new shoes, concert tickets, whatever it is. They notice that their family is struggling. They don't want to ask them for money for their own things, so they go out and, I guess, get a job? Finger quotes? There's an 18-year-old who is uh, who's being prosecuted And it gives probably the best picture as to how one of these things works, how one of these rings works, where you get kids to strap these drugs to their bodies. By the way, 
gone are the days of marijuana smuggling across the border, right? I mean, I'm sure there still is some, but now that it's legal in the in in California, you're going to buy it here legally and probably feel better about yourself because you're not dealing with human trafficking, drug trafficking, etc. But now it's obviously shifted into methamphetamine, still some cocaine coming across. The big one these days, the one with the highest stakes, is fentanyl. That if you don't wrap that stuff right and you start getting fentanyl on your belly, you're dead. I mean, it's not like, oh, I got a bad rash from fentanyl. It's, oh, I fit. And then that's it. You're dead. The, the moment you realize something's wrong, you're out. Two juveniles arrested with meth strapped to their thighs in September told authorities that they were among many kids recruited by uh, Philip Webb, an 18-year-old student at Castle Park High who lived in TJ. And they said he was offering them, he's 18 years old, so he's an adult, he's offering them 500 bucks each to smuggle drugs, and that they did so several times. And in many cases... He was crossing the border within minutes of them. So he signs him up. He's going to pay him 500 bucks, And just to make sure they're going to get across the border, he goes with them. Not, not holding their hand, but a couple of minutes later. Another student arrested with meth at the border a few weeks later had a similar story. He felt ripped off because he was only making three or 400 bucks. But... Just to bring it home in terms of how down home this is, they'd be paid in the high school bathroom. They'd roll in with whatever pack of meth or fentanyl or pot or coke or whatever it was, and they'd go to the high school bathroom and make the exchange for three, four hundred bucks. One of these kids says he tried to get out of it too. He knew that. Uh, he knew that this was a uh, no way to begin life, and he tried to get out of it. But this Philip Webb guy encouraged him to continue. A teenager arrested at San Ysidro back in October had two pounds of fentanyl strapped to his lower back. Two pounds of fentanyl. And he had signed up for it originally and changed his mind, but said that this Anthony guy, whoever this Anthony one was, was uh, this friend's boyfriend, threatened him to go through with it, saying, I know where you live. Now, investigators were able to put together this connection between this Philip Webb guy. Uh, also noted that Webb crossed at the same port of entry minutes after this guy with the fentanyl strapped to his back did. Webb transferred to a charter school in Chula Vista. He was arrested uh, just a couple of months ago. Customs and Border Protection found two unauthorized immigrants in the trunk of his Nissan at the San Ysidro border crossing. And the most common drugs seized from teen couriers right now, meth, heroin, and cocaine. But they're seeing a lot more fentanyl. And the cases against a teenager, if you're 17 or younger, they're prosecuted by the DA. Penalties could be anything from a couple of, you know, a couple hundred bucks in fines, maybe a couple of weeks or a month or two in juvie, and rehabilitation programs. But here's the thing. They lose their driver's license, right? They lose their border crossing card, which is probably the biggest impact. They lose their sentry pass. And most importantly, the parents lose out as well. They have zero opportunity to get college loans in this case. They cannot serve in the military, and they will never become a naturalized U.S. citizen. 
all because they wanted the two, three, four, five hundred bucks to strap some fentanyl to their back and get across across the border into the United States. All because they were trying to make money, and that's it. They're done. Big consequences for that. Uh, on the website right now, if you go to kfiam640.com, use the keyword Gary and Shannon. There is a, a story up there. I had never heard of this before. I know things I'm not supposed to give my dog, right? I mean, I'm not supposed to give him too much ice cubes, too many ice cubes, I guess, even though they like them. Why aren't you supposed to give him too many ice cubes? I haven't heard that before. Uh, it turns them into a, a popsicle. They could break their teeth. They oh. could break their teeth. Okay. It also can cause some some uh, gastric cramping, um, and it turns in, into a popsicle. Grapes, uh, chocolate. Stuff like that you're not supposed to give your dogs. Salt water is a new one. Now, not that I would add salt to my dog's water bowl, but if, I mean, we're surrounded by oceans here. So if you take your dog to the beach, they apparently get a taste of salt water and then won't stop drinking salt water, which is horrible for them. Uh, We'll tell you about a story. In fact, a story... And somebody tweeted you today, one of our listeners tweeted Michelle today to say that this happened to them. Yeah, and they noticed the signs very quickly, and that's the key is to be able to notice the signs. How about the sign is your dog is at the beach? Well, every dog reacts differently. I guess. We'll talk about that. Do not take your dog to the beach, and if you do, do not let them drink the seawater. Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. Gary and Shannon. Chuck Schumer. Senate Minority Leader is uh, holding a news conference today. His reaction to the Trump-Putin summit, you can, I mean, you can kind of guess where he's going with this, but he was saying that this was an embarrassment and that it was a horrible way to end this this trip through Europe where the president met with uh, NATO allies and also the Prime Minister of England uh, and the Queen of England, etc. But that he said the only person that he hasn't blamed... For Russian interference in the election in 2016 was the guy that stood shoulder to shoulder with him today. So uh, we'll have more information, more reaction to the news conference today and this meeting between the presidents coming up at 1230 when we get into Swamp Watch. Also, the uh, suspect in that chainsaw attack from last week in Whittier, we found out over the weekend, had been deported 11 times. He's going to be in court uh, or was in court this morning. And then the Yosemite fire burning there close to the park, 9,300 acres, more evacuations ordered today, 2% containment, and one firefighter was killed. I had never seen this before. I didn't know that this was something to be worried about. But there is a new warning going out of saltwater poisoning in animals, specifically dogs. Okay, if I say water, water everywhere, what do you say? Beach. No, water, water everywhere. But not a drop to drink. No? Come on, no. Michelle. Let's Michelle. Get the program, huh? Sorry. <laughs> you had it in rehearsal. Anyway. Uh, I didn't realize it was a, that's a four-line stanza. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop drink did you know that no samuel taylor coleridge all right south florida university student 29 year old guy takes his dog water loving labrador retriever og to the beach in dunedin florida is that how you say it yeah 
And they've been together for seven years, and uh, Taylor and his buddy OG go to hang out in the sun and the surf for a few hours at Honeymoon Island State Park Dog Beach. They did this all the time. All the time. After a great time, Taylor and OG start heading home. OG starts ralphing in the back of the car. And uh, I love the way they put this. Started experiencing diarrhea. Experiencing diarrhea. Which lasted until the next day. OG was managed to drink some water and eat a little bit of boiled chicken and rice that Taylor had cooked for him. But by Wednesday, the dog wasn't eating. It wasn't eating and was literally wandering around like he had no idea where he was. So Taylor takes his dog to the vet. Unfortunately, the vet says, "Nope, I can't do anything. Salt water poisoning. Even if we try now." To push it out with IV, whatever it is, it's just too far gone. The pet poison hotline has something called salt poisoning, which I've never heard of. Salt poisoning in dogs and cats results in clinical signs of vomiting, diarrhea, inappetence, lethargy, walking, drunk, abnormal fluid acclimation within the body, accumulation within the body, excessive thirst or urination, potential injury to the kidneys, tremor, seizures, coma, and even death when untreated. Pets can get salt poisoning from ingesting large amounts of seawater, salt water. And that was the case with OG. Even though he had been to the beach many times, somehow he accidentally took in too much water during his last visit. And salt poisoning itself, I mean, it happens in humans as well, although it's different. Um, Humans obviously cannot survive on seawater alone. But some people have claimed that if you have even two cups a day, you mix it with fresh water, you're going to avoid the potential for salt poisoning. I mean, but we're talking like Louis Zamperini stuck in the middle of the ocean style. That's the only reason why you would, I think, ingest salt water like this. And it happens in dogs, and it has the same thing where uh, the dogs and humans would come up with uh, potential kidney problems. It can cause seizures and coma and death if medical intervention is not quick. And then you posted this. Producer Michelle posted this this morning, and we had somebody write in and talk about uh, that that's happened to them. Yeah, and, and they showed a video of their dog, kind of the way he was acting. Just and lethargic. Here's and, the thing is every pet reacts differently, and vets will tell you this, is so they don't you don't really know what's going to happen. And, and in this case, they had been to the beach a million times, and this had never been an issue. But this time it it was. And they say that the symptoms can show up starting 24 hours after, you know, up to starting as early as 6 to 12 hours after. Right. And and may not show up for 48 hours after the exposure. That's And that's the terrifying thing is because the pace of it, you're never going to catch it in time. Right. If you do, you can get to the vet and they start the IV and they kind of flush all the salt water out. But if you don't catch it in time, it could end. Like this, which is very, very sad. I mentioned these other things. You're not supposed to give dogs like uh, chocolate and caffeine and grapes and raisins. Nuts. Nuts you're not supposed to give them. Salt. Salty snack foods. Undercooked meat. uh, And alcohol. And they do say if you take your dog to the beach, like for all of our Southern California listeners who take their dog to the beach, there's a couple of things you can do. Is when you're keeping an eye on your dog, just see if they're lapping up the water. Because some dogs will just lap up the water. Don't do that, dog. They're not supposed to do that. Um, You're supposed to limit their time in the water, obviously. Make sure they have plenty of regular water so they can flush that salt water out of their system. 
and take a break every 30 minutes. So if they're playing in the water, make sure you make them stop and have water and just kind of relax for a bit. Uh, all right. Never so heard be careful out there. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into what's trending, all the stories that are trending the highest right now on social media, and Anthony Bourdain's final interviews. A little fascinating. That's up next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. Man, I just continue to watch what is uh, coming in in terms of reaction to the president's meeting with Vladimir Putin today and that news conference that you heard live here on KFI. Uh, Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, bunch of Republicans uh, have already said, listen, uh, the president totally stepped on his own shoelaces today. You want to call it that and missed an opportunity to push back against Vladimir Putin and the election meddling. The director of national intelligence, Dan Coats, even came out with a statement today. Uh, and he has to be careful because I think he's probably uh, closest to the president in terms of he's got to have meetings with the guy every day. But he said, our position on Russian election meddling is very clear, which is that they did something. And uh, the president today basically said that he believes Vladimir Putin's denial more so than he believes the intelligence community's assessment that Russia did, in fact, meddle in the election. Now, it'll be interesting today because uh, Chris Wallace, I know, sat down for an interview with Vladimir Putin after the news conference today. My understanding is that they were uh, that he was also supposed to sit down with President Trump. And I don't know if that happened. I think that was going to be an interview as well. So it'd be interesting to see what sort of uh, follow-up questions Chris Wallace is going to be able to have with him. Hey, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, this is the uh, time of day when we go through all the stories that are trending. And right now, a couple of hashtags are trending in response to the uh, the summit meeting, if you want to call it that. The hashtag Trump-Putin uh, Trump summit wasn't a summit, everybody. It was just a meeting. And then the second one is hashtag treason summit. One of the more vitriolic reactions to the, the meeting today was from former CIA director John Brennan, who tweeted that this news conference today was nothing short of treasonous. He said that the press conference performance in Helsinki rises to and exceeds the threshold of high crimes and misdemeanors. It was nothing short of treasonous. Not only were Trump's comments imbecilic, he is wholly in the pocket of Putin uh, Republican patriots, where are you, writes John Brennan. I, I have a hard time believing that, the, that Donald Trump is in the pocket of Vladimir Putin. Do I think he can be imbecilic at times and miss opportunities when he has a chance to punch back? Uh, yeah, today was a perfect example of that. Oh, and then the other one, we'll get into this in Swamp Watch at the bottom of the hour. This Democratic senator who says... There is something close to the P-tape. He's convinced. Jeff Merkley of, of uh, Oregon. He thinks it's likely that Vladimir Putin does have something on Donald Trump. What is something, What by the way, what would be something close to the P-tape? Federal judge has ordered uh, the government to temporarily pause the deportations of reunited families to allow attorneys time to debate whether he should more permanently extend the order. Uh, this is the same judge that uh, had ordered that the families be reunited. Judge Dana Sabra addressed the issue at the top of a, a status hearing today in the case filed by the ACLU, uh, ordered the pause to allow for a full written argument on the ACLU's request to pause deportations of parents uh, for a week 
after they are reunified. Uh, Amazon Prime Day is trending today. The big deals, not only Garfield keychains and my pillows, just for Amy King, the the Amazon Alexa and Amazon Echo deals that are going on, the Fire tablets, etc. Those are all. That's really the biggest deal for them for Amazon is to get their own products out there. But they're going to have uh, Ring Door Cam deals, uh, Fire TV deals, the Amazon Dash buttons. You can get Prime subscription deals as well. So if you're going to go out there looking for a brand new car or something, you're not going to get it. This is Don't forget, this is a company that's out there to make money, and they want you to make money for them. So even if they do have special deals on, like, your essential oils diffusers shaped like an automaton you're gonna you're why gonna are you have looking to, at me when you say that? i don't know because i feel like you're gonna fall for this by the trick. way those ring doorbell deals and those video cam deals are really good love my ring right doorbell yeah man. we love ours too uh, i will tell you that my pillow isn't even on sale son of a you can get it at costco hey well, we got 36 costco. hours amy keep your fingers crossed i mean it could go on sale later it could do they, even, do they sell it on Amazon? They, I'm looking at it right now. Okay, well, there you go. Just Same price as it was yesterday when I looked crossed. at it. Hey, do, you know what you might do? Uh, send an email, jeff at amazon.com. Oh, Jeff and, Bezos. Yes, okay. and see yeah. if he, Jeff B, I think it is, at amazon.com. Dear see Jeff, I really want a sale Dear on my Jeff. pillow. Uh, Jason Momoa is on the first poster oh. for Aquaman. Easy. Oh, he is so... Oh, my God, he's so hot. Tony, can I get a towel in here or something? He is. Look at him. He's He looks exactly the way I picture Aquaman looking. No. He looks a little bit no. like the guy who just got voted you, off uh, Bachelorette. You take that back. No, he, what do you mean he looks um, like Aquaman? Oh, he does. Aquaman is blonde. Mm-mm. Everybody knows that. Nope. Well, in this picture, he has some sort of blonde highlights. No. He is gorgeous. He looks more like uh um, and, and by Triton the way, Aquaman always wore a shirt. Well, he, I don't want him to wear a shirt at all. Okay, I heard you. Did you know he's married to Lisa Bonet? Uh, I did not know that until you told me that. Yeah, they've been together since 2005. All this is uh, being released this week, probably because of the Hall H panel that's going to be at the San Diego Comic-Con on Saturday. Tony, are you going to the Aquaman panel? Oh, I don't go to panels, no. <laughs> the the right. line is way too long. <laughs> We're going to have uh, to ask Mo if he's going to be there because he's going to be at Comic-Con. Oh, maybe he could get yeah. an interview with Jason Momoa. Mm-hmm. Have mm-hmm. you seen the pictures of him as Aquaman or just pictures no. of him? No. I've seen the pictures Both. of Aquaman. Oh. I get it. Yeah. doesn't look anything like Both the Aquaman amazing. I remember. I think he looks more like Triton. Uh, I mean, he's hot, but I think he looks more like Triton. Lava has uh, has formed a new tiny island off the coast of Hawaii. Oh, I have Hawaiian music, Tony. Yeah. they name it yet yes it's called aloha oi oh you mean the island yeah. i thought you meant the song the island. uh it's still flowing from kila uea it's now created this tiny new island um just offshore from the northern edge of the big island and it's not a place that you by the way this is not a vacation spot this is like a pile of rocks that's about six feet off of the coast of the other part of the island yeah so. but like in a million years it'll be prime property no in a million years it'll be connected to the island the whatever water is between them will be long gone so um i guess fix your plans my sister uh, just got back from away and took pictures of the volcano and it looks like a star it's so far away that all you see is a tiny little dot of light and then finally adidas is trending today because they're trying to make their products more sustainable 
by the year 2024, the only plastics that Adidas will use will be recycled plastics. They will eliminate, they say, the use of virgin plastic. First report of other Financial Times includes polyester in everything from T-shirts to sports bras. Side note, my daughter says to me the other day, yesterday as a matter of fact, you know what I want to stop using? Uh, I don't know, that tone. And she said, <laughs> no, plastic straws. I'm so annoyed by that. I, I love her, but I'm really annoyed by the whole plastic straw thing. I don't I don't mind it. I just don't want I don't want her to think that that makes her better than anyone else that she's not going to use plastic straws. That's fine. She's going to get a paper cut on her lip, but that's fine. That's uh, I guess a badge of honor. When we come back, Anthony Bourdain's final interviews. Tell you some of the things that he said and most importantly, most interestingly, some of the people that he talked about. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon on this Amazon Prime Day. It's Monday, July 16th. In the 1 o'clock hour, Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us. We're going to talk more about some of the deals that Amazon has available today. But more importantly, what kind of a big deal this is for Amazon. I mean, this is a potential huge moneymaker once again for them. And it's totally manufactured. There's no holiday today. It's not like, I mean, it's what, National Crumb Cake Day or Corn Fritter Day or whatever it was. And it's, it's Handel's 25th anniversary, but... Amazon doesn't know that. So we'll talk about that with Rebecca. Uh, The Yosemite fire has uh, doubled in size now up to 9,300 acres and continues to grow because of the incredible death in the forests there. Just dry, dead trees exploding in fire. Also resulted in the death of one firefighter very early Saturday morning when his bulldozer flipped over. And at the bottom of the hour, we're going to get more into this meeting in Helsinki between President Trump and Vladimir Putin. A lot of criticism and uh, from both sides of the aisle for President Trump's performance today, and we'll talk about that. Anthony Bourdain died, obviously took his own life in a French hotel back in June and took just, I mean, the world by surprise. There was uh, his final interview, it appears, has been published. It's in a magazine called um, Popula, Popula. And Anthony Bourdain, what I I thought was interesting was this concentrated a lot on the Me Too movement. And uh, one of the things that Anthony Bourdain got in trouble with in the Me Too movement, he's, by the way, I don't know anybody who's necessarily accused him outright of harassment or, or, you know, any sexual impropriety. Uh, But one of the things that he got blasted for was he tweeted his disappointment in something that Hillary Clinton had said and got turned around into somehow he was accusing her of perpetrating Harvey Weinstein's or making an excuse for her. Like even he said, listen, I hated that guy for what he did. And for some reason I was the one being dragged across the coals here. And he very frightening to him, but he talks about his time with Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton and Harvey Weinstein. And the stuff with the Clintons is pretty boilerplate. I mean, he he looked at um, Bill Clinton as a guy who is very charming. He says, I met him. He's effing magnetic, as is Hillary, which I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that Hillary is magnetic. But Anthony Bourdain says, when you're in the room, you think, wow, she's really warm and nice and funny. But the way they efficient – now, this is where it turns, okay? He, he says – Bill and Hillary Clinton are are magnetic and warm. But Anthony Bourdain says, 
the way they efficiently dismantled, destroyed, and shamelessly discredited these women for speaking their truth. It was something that was just intolerable, he says, which echoed something that Hillary Clinton had said, that it was intolerable in every way. She was saying that she was appalled at what Harvey Weinstein was accused of doing. And, you know, like so many people have come forward and spoken out, this is Hillary Clinton, this was a different side of a person who I and many others had known in the past. Now, Anthony Bourdain slammed Hillary on Twitter, saying that this response was shameful in its deflection and its disingenuousness. There's a lot of syllables to throw in on Twitter. you gotta, you got to watch your letters there. Now, one of the reasons, by the way, that Anthony Bourdain was so upset with this is he's dating, or was at the time, Asia Argento, who is one of the first accusers to come out against Harvey Weinstein. And he said he was, he was watching this, literally watching this with his girlfriend, Asia, as she's texting her sisters, watching the Clinton apology on Weinstein. Those are his words, by the way. Anthony Bourdain said that Clinton apologized. So he says, let's say something different. I immediately tweet my disappointment, very much shaped by what I saw around me. And I'll tell you, that was really effing frightening, the reaction to that. And he says, listen, I voted for Hillary. And all I was saying was I was disappointed with the statement. But even by expressing that, the way that the comment was turned, he says, suddenly I wasn't expressing disappointment in her statement. I was blaming her for Harvey Weinstein's crimes. And that's not what I intended. He says the way that turned very nicely was a good bit of artistry and deeply frightening to me. Best part about the interview, Anthony Bourdain. Again, he's dating Asia Argento, or was at the time, one of Harvey Weinstein's first accusers. And if you know anybody, if you have sisters, girlfriends, wives, cousins, mom, whatever, who's ever been victimized by somebody like Harvey Weinstein in any way like that, there's probably a sense of fantasy that goes on in your mind about how you'd like that guy to meet his maker, right? Anthony Bourdain had that same thing. This, listen to how he wants to see Harvey Weinstein die. Outside of his first choice, which was to be beaten to death in his cell, okay? This is how he wants Harvey Weinstein to meet his maker. My theory of how he goes is he's brushing his teeth in a bathroom. He's naked in that famous bathrobe, which is flapping open. He's holding his cell phone in one hand because you never know who on the Weinstein board has betrayed him recently. And he's brushing his teeth. Suddenly, he gets a massive effing stroke. He stumbles backwards into the bathtub where he finds himself with his robe open, feet sticking out of the tub. And in his last moments of consciousness, as he scrolls through his contacts, trying to figure out who he can call who will actually answer the phone to help him out. That's how Anthony Bourdain wanted Harvey Weinstein to die. It's uh, it's quite the interview. Again, in uh, Popula magazine just launched this week. All right. We come back all about Swamp Watch, including Karen Travers on this big meeting between the presidents of the United States and Russia. And Dianne Feinstein got a little slap in the face from the California Democratic Party this week. We'll talk about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon on this Monday, it's July 16th. Well, Amazon Prime Day is 30 minutes in the... 30 minutes in the can already if you haven't gotten your deals yet. We're going to talk with Rebecca Jarvis at the top of the hour more on what Amazon Prime Day is, where it even came from, why it's a big deal. Uh, The suspect in that chainsaw attack from last week in Whittier 
uh, we found out over the weekend, has been deported 11 times. And the firefight continues up near Yosemite. 9,300 acres now have burned. 2% containment is all. One firefighter died early Saturday when his uh, bulldozer rolled over. So more and more firefighters are on their way to that. But it's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. And the big deal in Washington, D.C. is reaction today from that meeting uh, and press conference that took place between Presidents Trump and Putin in Helsinki. And joining us from Helsinki is Karen Travers. This, uh, Karen, one of the one of the weirdest things I think I've seen in a very long time in terms of the relationship between the United States and Russia. Yeah, this was quite an incredible uh, press conference here in Helsinki, the whole series of meetings, uh, the president sitting down one-on-one with no senior staff, just their translators for a two-hour meeting to kick off their day. And then later, the president getting a lot of questions, of course, about Russia's election meddling. The president uh, seems to be casting doubts now on who he believes at this point. The U.S. intelligence community, which says Russia did meddle in the U.S. election and President Putin directed this, or President Putin, who he said today offered a powerful and uh, forceful denial The president all week has certainly signaled he didn't want to get into this again. He didn't think it was worth re-asking Putin about 2016 because Putin keeps denying it. He said he wasn't expecting a confession from the Russian president. But he had a chance today to go forward, to look at... 2018, the midterms, to look at 2020 and and what else Russia could be planning, because his own director of national intelligence says these efforts are ongoing. This is not something in the past. The president was asked today if he would look at Putin and, you know, say to him, you never want that to happen again. The president didn't do that. He never insisted Russia stay away from the U.S. electoral system. One of the one of the most creative pieces of verbal judo, I think I heard President Putin say was, Hey, we should uh, we should work on these problems together. Problems like Syria and problems like mm-hmm. Crimea and problems like cybersecurity. All of the problems that he is accused of creating, now he wants to team up to try to fix. Yeah, and it certainly sounds great, right? You know, like I just uh, I, you know made your room really messy, but why don't we work together on cleaning it all up? Like, what a nice gesture by me. So yeah, sure, but you know, it, it, it's more complicated, of course, than that. And, you know, I think they were trying to come out and point to areas where they can agree on things. They're trying to come out and look at things that they can highlight as ways to improve the relationship. But that certainly is going to get overshadowed by this big question about what Russia is doing right now and in the future uh, to meddle in future elections. What's on the schedule for the president from now on? Is this this the last thing in the day, or does he have some more formal stuff to do before he comes back to D.C.? He is already on the plane ride back. He's heading back to Washington. He'll land there at the White House around 9-ish tonight, and then it's back to work at the White House tomorrow. Yeah, I would figure that he's going to be paying attention to some of the uh, some of the press, and he's not going to like it when he's on the plane. Yeah, we'll see. You know, they certainly do have Wi-Fi in certain spots when you're flying back. So he's probably checking in to see how uh, the reception is and, you know, the the comments and how uh, he's being graded on this 
event. I think, you know, he certainly felt like he had a victory lap after the Singapore summit. Uh, the headlines today and the comments from some folks on Capitol Hill have not been very positive. Yeah, and it's it's going to be interesting to see if he can find anybody who, who support. I mean, both sides of the aisle. I mean, some of the people like uh, even mm-hmm. Peter King of New York saying he strongly disagrees with the president's, mm-hmm. at least the way he put it today, the way the president did not stand yeah. up for the intelligence agencies. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the point that certainly it's easier for Republicans to point to, you know, that the U.S. intelligence community, DNI, Dan Coates, put out a statement saying, you know, we stand by our assessment. The president knows our assessment. And, it, it, you know, that's just a tough message for him to once again there today uh, not full-throated agree with uh, what that assessment is because Putin once again denied it to him. What's, uh, what's on the menu for you? When do you get to go home? Uh, what time is it now? It's uh, 3.40 Eastern time around yeah. midnight tonight, Eastern time. <laughs> Making a long trip back. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Karen. We appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much. Karen Travers there in Helsinki, Finland with the latest on this long-anticipated meeting between Presidents Trump and Putin. A little bit more about some of the criticism uh, from members of Congress. Uh, you know what the Democrats are going to say. But what I find is interesting is that some of the Republicans have come out, not just the ones who have you know, been the never-Trumper people anyway, but, but other people have come out and been critical of the way the president handled this meeting today. Also, the update on what it means that Dianne Feinstein did not get the endorsement of the Democratic Party of the state of California. Coming up, we continue Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon will continue right after. Amy King has an update. Yeah, those are freckles. Those are aggressive freckles, though, on that guy, Michelle. Uh, Gary and Shannon, the... Uh, the top stories that we're following today, the fire near Yosemite is growing to 9,300 acres, and it is a deadly fire. A uh, Cal Fire heavy equipment operator, guy driving a bulldozer, uh, ended up flipping that thing, and it rolled over and crushed him. A 36-year-old firefighter leaves behind a wife and two young kids. Uh, also, that suspect in the chainsaw attack in Whittier that we told you about last week has been deported, we found out. Deported 11 times. 11 times. Senator Jeff Merkley, Democrat from Oregon, has an interesting take on this meeting today that was uh, televised, the news conference that was televised between Presidents Trump and Putin after their long, long meeting. It was like two hours, just the two of them and their translators together. So uh, there's very few people in the world who know exactly what was talked about in that meeting other than what they described later in the news conference. One of the questions was about the dossier. In fact, it made Vladimir Putin laugh when a reporter asked him, do you have any incriminating evidence against Donald Trump or his family? And it was funny because the guy asked the question in English, and while while Putin is sitting there listening to the translator, he gets a big smile on his face, and then he laughs before he pulls the little earpiece out and responds in Russian. Jeff Merkley, the Democrat from Oregon, said that something close to the long-rumored P-tape does exist. Listen, uh, the, the president can be, in, in this appearance today, the president was a goober. I thought he missed plenty of opportunities to appear strong. He didn't, he didn't do what I thought he was going to do. But to suggest now that this means that Vladimir Putin has something on this guy... Just means that he 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 folded. He folded like a cheap tent when he had the opportunity on the international stage to be a tough guy, and he didn't do it. 
What I think is funny is that, that Jeff Merkley thinks it's likely now. When asked directly if he thinks that this tape is real, you know, making the, the hookers pee on the bed that the President Obama slept in, even though he's a known germaphobe, Jeff Merkley said, oh, it's got to be something close to that. Idiocy. You don't have to do that. We were talking with Karen Travers. She was in Helsinki or still is in Helsinki about what sort of reaction we're going to get from President Trump as he's flying back to Washington, D.C. Guess what? Tweet, tweet, tweet. What do you think he just tweeted? Sit back, relax, and enjoy my tweets. Well, true to form, he's not going to wait for uh, for good Wi-Fi service. He got spotty Wi-Fi service. And 11 minutes ago, President Trump tweeted out, as I said today and many times before, I have great confidence, all caps, great Confidence in my intelligence people. However, this is an interesting dichotomy. I also recognize that in order to build a brighter future, we cannot exclusively focus on the past. As the world's two largest nuclear powers, we must get along and then use the hashtag Helsinki 2018. Ah, I would point out to the president, he brought up the election. He brought up the 306 electoral votes again. In order to build a brighter future, we cannot exclusively focus on the past. Here's the win that President Trump walks away with. Because I think there is a win here. The win that President Trump walks away with is they're going to talk again. And if that's the only goal, like if he going into it, he had no intention of holding Putin's feet to the fire when it comes to election meddling. He had no intention of telling him to get out of Crimea. He had zero intention of telling him, stop making things difficult in Syria. He had zero intention of suggesting that there be some sort of economic uh, agreement between the United States and Russia. If his only, only goal going into this was to open up the door for future discussions, then he succeeds because he was friendly to the guy. He refused to lay him out in public for all of what we know he has done. I don't understand how President Trump is going to sit down with his director of national intelligence tomorrow for the regular uh, national brief, uh, daily briefing. And when he asks Dan Coats, hey, did you see that news conference? How would you think I did? And Dan Coats goes, well, Mr. President, I feel like you completely crapped upon the year and a half of work that we have done to prove that Russia was meddling in the election. Not that they fixed it for you, not that you wouldn't have won otherwise, not even that there's any indication that they changed the number of votes or anything like that, just that they meddled. You've ruined that by not not holding Putin's feet to the fire on that. How do you how do you not that the director of national intelligence would ever say something like that to the president, but how do you not? I mean, how do you uh, I don't understand how it is that you can say that you are. What's the term he used? A great confidence in my intelligence people. But I recognize that in order to build a brighter future, we cannot exclusively focus on the past. This is direct, looking directly at the future. It's looking directly at the elections coming up in a couple of months. It's looking directly at 2020. You've got to tell them. That's never okay. We will never allow you to do this again. If you do it again, there will be severe, dire consequences. 
Diplomacy is good. It's ridiculous for somebody like John Brennan to say that this was treasonous, the way he handled this news conference today. If anything else, it was just it was lame. And I don't want to offend anybody, but he was a pansy or a wussy. Which one did we say I could use? I could say wussy. He was a wussy today. I was expecting a lot out of this. I was expecting, remember all the bluster with which he talked about Kim Jong-un and how how he was absolutely willing to step on toes with Angela Merkel and Theresa May and Emmanuel Macron and, and the president of China, President Xi of China. He was willing to step on all these people's toes. Why doesn't he piss off Vladimir Putin every once in a while? I mean, just, you know, throw a little insult his way. Because, by the way, he's a good foot shorter than you. You like pointing that out on other people. Why don't you point that out about Vladimir Putin? This is not a grand conspiracy. He's not, by the way, did you see this article that he, uh, I think it was New Yorker magazine. There was a writer who suggested that President Trump, then Donald Trump in 1987, that was the first time he had been compromised. That the KGB turned him in 1987. And they're playing the long game here. That's what, see that? And after, after 30 years, they finally got him elected president. Whew! 30 years that he's been a Russian agent. Come on. You make it silly. You make it silly when you say something like the Rus- the, the Donald Trump is a Russian agent. It's much more likely that he's just a goober who did a wussy thing today and ended up looking like a pansy at the end of the day. Because he thought that was the way to improve relations between the United States and Russia. He says that we have, we, the United States and Russia, have a great chance to do some great things. That may be the case. And maybe that's why he played it like this and uh, made sure he didn't step on anybody's toes. Uh, I just want to throw this in there. Dianne Feinstein did not win the Democratic uh, Party's nomination. Sorry, their uh, endorsement for senator. They gave it to Kevin DeLeon. That's not a huge deal. I mean, it's a deal because Dianne Feinstein's been around forever. But somebody in the Democratic Party, whether it's the bleeding edge of the absolute liberal portion of the Democratic Party or it's somebody just below that level, somebody realizes you can't run somebody who's 90 years old anymore. You just can't do it. There's too many young voters. There's too many power people who are under the age of 30 who are going to change the face of the next election. Kevin DeLeon, I know he's not under 30, but I'm talking about his appeal to somebody who is under 30, much more appealing than Dianne Feinstein, who is, I think, is she a great-grandmother now? I know she's a grandma. I don't know if she's a great-grandmother. All right, we come back. Rebecca Jarvis is going to join us for a bunch of things, including maybe some fallout from all of this uh, Trump-Putin news conference in Helsinki. Most importantly... How Amy's going to get her my pillow. That's all next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. It's Monday. Uh, lots still coming in. Uh, Senator Jeff Flake. I never thought I would see the day when our American president would stand next to a Russian, uh, the Russian president, uh, and look bad. That's basically what his tweet said in response to the President Trump Vladimir Putin meeting in Helsinki. Former CIA director John Brennan actually said that this rises to and exceeds the level of. High crimes and misdemeanors. And I think we're getting a little bit crazy when it comes to the hyperbole over this meeting. It was not a good one. I mean, I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, that was the best meeting I've ever seen. But we don't have to say that it was treasonous. It was a poor performance. We'll tell you that. 
the fire in Yosemite is uh, only 2% contained and is quickly approaching 10,000 acres. This is one where a, a firefighter died early Saturday morning when his bulldozer flipped over. Uh, we've uh, been keeping an eye on that because it's going to continue to grow in that area for sure. And there are evacuations in some of the small towns around Yosemite National Park. And also today is Amazon Prime Day, but that brings us to Market Mondays. It's Market Monday on Gary and Shannon. Because everyone loves money. And alliteration sounds great on the radio. Yes. Yes. Alliteration does sound great on the radio. Like Rebecca Rarvis joining us from ABC. How's it going? That is rough. Yeah, I get it. That's an offer of Amazon Prime Day. Uh, Yeah, so explain to me this before we get into, well, first of all, let's do just a quick recap how things went in terms of Wall Street today. Yeah, so Wall Street ended, uh, Dow ended up 44 points, NASDAQ, S&P, fractionally lower. What is interesting is that Amazon, in spite of the fact that the first hour of Prime Day has been, it's kicked off 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, noon, your time. That first hour has not been going according to plan. In fact, a lot of people who went to the site, and my joke about rough relates, uh, a lot of people who went to the site, instead of getting the actual prime deals, they got pictures of puppies. And the puppies are adorable. You can go to my Twitter and my Instagram. I've posted some of my favorite puppy pictures from Amazon. But for people who are looking for deals, I'm sorry, that's not a deal. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but, but what I was going to say, what's fascinating to me is Amazon stock still ended the day higher. They had about an hour to go into the close, you know, before when things started going not so well. And actually, um, <clears throat> I'm looking at the stock right now. It did start falling at the start of Prime Day. But even so, the stock ended higher by $9.46. And that puts it at a close today at an all-time high. That's good news for Jeff Bezos. Yeah, well, I'm sure Jeff Bezos is, he, he's got to probably, like, it's like, on the one hand, I'm feeling pretty good about the stock price. On the other hand, the, head it, am I taking for all of this? Yeah, it's like eating a taco with a toenail in it. I mean, tacos are always <laughs> great, but when you get a toenail in it, it kind of brings it down a little bit. I but really you've never had a taco with a toenail in it that sounds horrible well not on purpose that's disgusting uh but the idea jeff bezos is the the richest person in modern history when you adjust for inflation because of this today yeah Yeah, true he is and um he has been an absolute innovator i mean look hopefully they'll figure out how to fix the website issues for all the people who (laughs) want to shop the website for jeff bezos and for the employees who were in charge of of uh, making the website work i really hope for them that uh, things end up working out um but if you look at the amount of money that amazon is supposed to make here in this 36 hours they're supposed to make at least 3.4 billion dollars in sales on this prime day on more than a million things so for every hour that the site isn't working that's $94 million, potentially, in lost sales. $94 million an hour in lost sales. Now, this is uh, – the only thing I could think of is that – I mean, it's a manufactured day. It's not like they're celebrating the anniversary of Amazon or anything right. like that. It's incredible. They created this day. It's the fourth year. And now not only are they in on it and making it their – I mean, this year is expected to be bigger than Cyber Monday last year for Amazon. But it's also a manufactured day that now has a halo effect that's helping all these other retailers that – I mean, how many years have I covered 
Christmas in July concept. Right. For so many years prior to Amazon Prime Day, it was like, oh, it's Black Friday in July, and no one could really make it work. Well, then Amazon comes along and does it, actually creates excitement around it, and now all these other retailers are also piggybacking off of it. Target tomorrow is doing its own one-day sale that they're gonna, they say is going to be like Black Friday, Best Buy, Walmart, eBay is doing price matching. Um, so other retailers are getting a little boost from this whole thing too. Yeah, and it's an amazing thing because it doesn't even have to be – I mean a lot of people assume that the Amazon stuff that they're pitching for Amazon Prime Day, the deals that they're pitching all have to do with – other things that you would necessarily buy on Amazon, whatever that is, clothes, equipment, whatever. But they are doing such incredible deals on their Amazon products, the Alexa, the uh, Fire TV, all of that stuff. Yeah, and and part of that, too, I mean, again, back to Jeff Bezos, the guy is brilliant. And I read a statistic that people who order through their Echo order 66% more on Amazon than those who order on their phone. So what do you do? You discount the Echo to 30 bucks, you know, shave a few dollars off of that. And then that customer who was spending $700 a year is now spending $2,000 a year on your site because you discounted that product for them and it helps uh, get them to spend more money on your site. Yeah, and this being the first year that uh, of, of their big connection with Whole Foods as well, they're offering Prime, yeah. members, Prime members a $10 credit when they spend 10 bucks or more at Whole Foods uh, through, I think it's the 17th, so yep. through, uh, through I'm, tomorrow. I'm excited to use my Whole Foods credit. We just, you got, when you come <laughs> back, when you come back here and visit us again, we'll take you across the street to the world's largest Whole Foods market. It's not, but uh, I like, we like to say it. Well, that sounds awesome. And Do you our, go there for lunch? Our, yeah, absolutely. Our Whole the Foods has cake. a disco ball in it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's how cool it is. All right, can you hang around and talk some yeah. more about some more stuff? Of course. All right, Rebecca Jarvis has joined us. You can also follow her on uh, Twitter. She's showing it up on Periscope, at Rebecca Jarvis, and I retweeted the link so that you can watch that as well. We'll talk about a couple of things, including the smart homes of tomorrow calling 911 for you and Man, when a company has to deal with something like the Papa John's founder saying the wrong words, how you come out of that hole? It's hard to it's hard to see a future. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon, big stories today include the news conference in Helsinki between President Trump and uh, President Putin of Russia. Uh, the president said there was no collusion in the Russian election meddling. There was nobody to collude with, was the way he put it. Uh, and said that uh, Putin denied any sort of meddling in the election, and even asked, why would they? Which is kind of a silly question, although the director of national intelligence has come out and said, we're sticking to our guns. We know that they did, and I don't care if they deny it or not. Uh, the big fire in, near Yosemite has burned 9,300 acres. It's only 2% contained. And uh, Amazon Prime Day, which we talked about, started about an hour and a half ago, but they had some problems with uh, their uh, landing page. Just- I just got the dog. You just got the dog yeah, also? Yeah, I was checking him on my pillow. Mm. Was it Barkley the... Uh... No, it's Martini. He's oh. a little tiny dog with those Yoda ears, and he's got glasses on. Uh, Barkley the Basset Hound was what greeted oh. me earlier. So Rebecca Jarvis uh, has joined us to talk about Market Monday stuff about all of this. Uh, you can also watch her on Twitter, at Rebecca Jarvis. I retweeted the link as well. She's on Periscope right now. Hey, uh, let's talk about uh, Noon Light and what this is to put uh, the safety app, a uh, personal safety app, into everything. Yeah, 
ISO Noonlight, they used to be called Safe Trek. And now they're developing this technology where essentially, remember when, when we were younger and there was the I've fallen and I can't get up and you had you wore the lanyard sure. if, if you got hurt in your house? Well, this is this is like one step easier than that version. So if you had that fall now with Noonlight, they would automatically call 911 for you without you even having to say anything. So you could be in the midst of a heart attack or you'd have uh, you're comforting your child. They dial 911 through the gadgets in your home where like whether it's your Google Home or your Amazon Alexa or your Apple Health app or the Nest Protect smoke detector. All of these things is integrated into all of them and they don't actually call 911 but they alert the call center and then a human being calls 911 with this app integrated. Wow. What could go wrong? I, well, <laughs> I mean, it seems to me like with all of the technology that we currently have already, we're already saturated when it comes to, you know, getting help in an emergency where you can you can yeah. yell at your uh, Alexa or you can you can have your phone next to you or there's some people still have landline, which is weird. But, I mean, there's still there's a lot of opportunities for you in the event of an emergency to get help. Why this would be needed is seems like it's we're just filling in the tiny little crevices that aren't saturated yet. Right. I mean, I wonder if it sort of plays to the idea of the aging baby boomer population and the idea that, you know, you might see more and more people living alone. And it's, you know, as you age, it's more complicated, perhaps in a true emergency situation. Um, but I think, to me, like, the complexity is they're, they're talking about how this is somewhat similar to OnStar. For example, if your car has an issue, OnStar is automatically called, and if you have OnStar on your, on your uh, car, and then they come to help. But, like, if it's a human, we're not, we don't have chips in our bodies that alert immediately uh, whatever technology is outside of us to a problem. I get how the car, there's a legitimate problem with the car and then there's an alert that goes out to 911. I feel like something like this is really ripe for issues. I mean, in the same way that your Alexa or your Google Home talks to you when you're not necessarily talking to it. I don't know if this <laughs> happened to you, but I've had this happen. We, we have a Google Home in my apartment and um, she once just started laughing and talking to us and responding to things that we didn't say. Yeah. Isn't that a little terrifying? My my daughter says she's got one in her bedroom, and she said that it laughed at her one night. Yeah, that that, that was the whole thing. There was a while where Alexa was laughing, and um, apparently she was laughing about Prime Day 2018. She could see all of this coming. <laughs> she could read the future. Very, very nice. Well, I cannot get on Amazon. I can't get a Papa John's pizza. But oh. ho holy cow. Listen, yeah. uh, the, the, the head of Papa John's came under uh, – uh, under fire because back in May he made a comment. He used a racial racial slur. I think he was trying to quote Colonel Sanders or something like that. I mean, just he should never use the magic N word in any context, but he did. He ended up apologizing and then resigning. They've now evicted him from his offices. Yeah, and and the thing is, so he. He resigned as chairman, and he no longer holds a formal management role, but he stays on the board, and he still owns 30% of the company's shares, and he was initially still tied to the, the, the marketing and sales of the company, so they've now want, they're now doing away with that, too, so that 
his voice, his presence, his essence is no longer tied to the marketing of the company. How does a company like this, I mean, it's a big enough company. It's it's struggled, I guess you could say, in the last couple of years. But is there a future for them or is this something that scuttles a multi-billion dollar company? Look, I think it's a, I think a lot of companies, they're not facing this identical scenario. But companies today recognize that there any any kind of issue can go viral so fast and customers can become angry so quickly and getting out in front of that and taking a stand has been the thing that companies have have had to do in order to keep it from spiraling out of control i will also say though and and this sort of relates back to a world where we didn't have social media where everyone could voice their opinion but what we've seen previously is that initially when there's some controversy at a company, there's the initial uproar, and there are the people who say, I'm never going to consume this product again. I hate this company. I don't like what they stand for. And some of those people won't. But if you were a devout lover of whatever that thing is, the, the longer time goes on, the more people tend to come back to brands that they really like. So for those who have a strong brand affinity to Papa John's in this case, I would believe that in the long run, at least some of those people are coming back. There are going to be the people who are, you know, they take the stand and they never consume it again. But historically, when we've seen these things happen, you you tend to see the initial uproar and the initial response, but over time, people find their way back. Now, the, the, the biggest thing that, that that doesn't relate to is if there's an actual problem with the product itself. So I'm thinking of, like, with Chipotle, with the food, totally different controversy when they had the outbreak, or Wells Fargo when they had the scandal around um, pushy sales practices. Those damaged the business in a different way because it was the business itself that people didn't want to participate in. It wasn't um, taking it an ethical stance. Yeah. Anyway, that's a really long answer. No, no, I, I love it, though, It's because I think it's important to make the distinction between the two. Um, I mean, we've been running – we run commercials for Wells Fargo where they say, hey, listen, we, we screwed up. We're yeah. not going to ever do that again And yeah. we're, we, it, when we know we have to win you back, basically. Yeah. And they, I mean, I've seen those commercials. I think they're smart commercials. But Wells Fargo still has been, uh, has had to get, I mean, it's been tough for them getting through that. Even even with the sort of, we we really apologize, we're falling on our sword here, um, which I do think is smart marketing, it still has been tough for them to come back from that. Uh, Quickly, tomorrow's updated podcast for No Limits. Who's on it? Yeah, we've got Tyler Haney. She's the founder and CEO of Outdoor Voices, which is a brand that's now trying to take on Netflix, uh, Netflix, Nike and Lululemon. It's like the brand right now that everybody wants to be wearing when they're working out and exercising hardcore. Outdoor Voices. I went uh, saw a band with my son. It was a metal band called Indoor Rage Outdoor Voices. <laughs> well, were they using their outdoor voices? Very, very <laughs> much so. Sounds like it. Yeah. All right, Rebecca, thank you. Take care, Gary. Rebecca Bye. Jarvis there with the latest on what's going on in Market Monday. Um, when we come back, a cold case, an eight-year-old little girl raped and murdered back in Indiana in 1988. And after 30 years, the guy they finally arrested showed up in court today.
tell you how they finally caught up with this guy. Coming up next on Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon. Shannon's out today. She'll be back. John and Ken coming up at the top of the hour. The big story that we follow today, the meeting in Helsinki between Presidents Trump and Putin. A lot of criticism that President Trump is getting for not standing up firmly enough to uh, Putin about the Russian meddling in the election in 2016. The Yosemite fire has reached 9,300 acres and is growing just through absolutely decrepit and dead forest area. 2% containment. This is going to get much bigger before it uh, they get a handle on it. There was a, a firefighter who was killed early Saturday morning fighting that fire. And Amazon Prime Day ran into some bumps early on. They had uh, they had some glitches that for the first uh, 30, 45 minutes of, uh, of Amazon Prime Day, you couldn't buy anything. They would just send you back to the normal front page, even if you went into the Amazon Prime landing page. We've uh, told you about a couple of different cold cases that have been solved through DNA. And we have another one. And it is clear that what we're seeing and what we will see in the next months and probably a couple of years is a series of these cold cases that have gone 20, 25, 30 years in some cases unsolved because the technology didn't exist and the information and databases didn't exist 30 years ago to track down the people that are responsible for these heinous crimes. Guy showed up in court today in Fort Wayne, Indiana, in connection with the death of an eight-year-old girl in 1988. It was April 1st, 1988. It was Good Friday. And little April Tinsley decided that even though there were storm clouds over Fort Wayne that day, she was going to go to her friend's house. Tall, blonde-haired, dark-eyed first grader, leaves her home to head over to her friend's house a couple blocks away. In 1988, this was not a big deal. We could do this. The The understanding between us and our parents was always home by whatever, home by dinner, home, by, home before your dad gets home, home before the lights come on, the street lights, something. But it wasn't ever find my friends or call me on my phone or anything like that. It was just be home by. April didn't come home for dinner. And her mom called the police. Janet Tinsley called the police and said, you're sitting there looking out the window and trying to think, where is she? Who's got her? Witnesses said that they saw a girl matching April Tinsley's description being forced into a blue truck near her house. And the witnesses did have some description of the guy who was driving, but they couldn't track down anybody, any substantial leads. Three days later, a jogger finds the body of April in a water-filled ditch, twisting through some fields in Amish country. One of her shoes was found about uh, 1,000 feet from where she was found. Police recovered a sex toy and a shopping bag that was left nearby. An autopsy showed that April had been sexually assaulted and strangled. They found DNA evidence in the underwear, but again, 1988 didn't have the technology specific enough to point to a sp- uh, one particular perpetrator. That's not where the case ends, though. 
It gets weird. Two years later, there was a message scrawled on a barn nearby. Big white barn on a stretch of road with just fields all around. And it was a a confession and a taunt and a threat all wrapped into one. Somebody wrote on the side of this barn in incredibly bad grammar in English, I kill eight-year-old April M. Tinsley. Did you find the other shoe? Ha ha. I will kill again. Didn't end there either. 14 years later. Again, April was killed in 1988. The message on the barn was 1990. In 2004, there were at least four notes, handwritten notes, that were scattered at different homes across the area in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Three of those messages were placed on the bicycles that belonged to young girls. They were all written on on lined yellow paper. Unfortunately, like this pad that I have here. The fourth note wasn't on a bicycle. It was actually placed in a mailbox. Three of the messages were inside plastic bags that also contained soiled condoms. I'll let you work that one through your head. Or should I say used? I'll say used condoms. And Polaroid pictures of this guy's junk. And of those four notes, most of them referred to what happened to April back in 1988. One of these notes reads, Hi, honey. I've been watching you. I am the same person that kidnapped and raped uh, and killed April Tinsley. You are my next victim. That message demanded that the girl who got it, that she report the note to the police. going to reiterate that. The note told the girl to call the police and tell them about the note. The writer said that if they didn't see an article on the message in the newspaper or the local TV station, that they would blow up that little girl's house. And again, they couldn't find evidence in 2004, even though, again, DNA clearly in the condoms. They couldn't immediately point toward a suspect. But they knew that the DNA they found in those notes matched the DNA found in April's underwear after she was killed. So whoever was sending the notes in 2004 clearly was connected to the 1988 killing. In May, all of this changed. In May, cold case detectives at the Fort Wayne Police Department submitted DNA from the notes to a place called Parabon Nano Labs. We've talked about them before because they were the ones involved with tracking down the killer of a first-grade teacher not too long ago. We did that story a couple of weeks ago. 
and they arrested a guy. Just last week, they arrested a guy. Just today, this John R. Miller showed up in court. I'll tell you how it is they tracked him down when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Gary and Shannon, wrapping up the show today. Big story that we've covered, of course, the summit between, wasn't a summit, it was a meeting between President Trump and Vladimir Putin. A lot of discussion about the things that uh, President Trump left on the table that, that maybe he didn't show enough backbone when he was uh, confronting Vladimir Putin about uh, election meddling. Even his own uh, director of national intelligence is uh, pushing back a little bit. Uh, the other stories, of course, the local story, the guy who accused of attacking his wife with a chainsaw last week, we found out, has been deported 11 times. That's lovely. And the fire in Yosemite has now reached uh, 9,300 acres, about 2% containment. It's got a ways to go before this thing gets under control. I was telling you the story about April Tinsley. She was eight years old when she was killed in April of 1988 outside Fort Wayne, Indiana. Raped and murdered. And then somebody two years later wrote on the side of a barn... I kill eight-year-old April Tinsley. Did you find the other shoe? Ha ha, I will kill again. And then about four year, 14 years after that, sent a series of uh, notes to other little girls in the Fort Wayne, Indiana area describing how these girls were targeted next. One note read, Hi, honey, I've been watching you. I'm the same person that kidnapped and raped and killed April Tinsley. You are my next victim. And demanded that that girl report the note to the police. And if the killer didn't see information in the paper or on the TV station, that he was going to blow up that little girl's house. Those four letters that were found in 2004 included used condoms and Polaroids of this guy's junk. In April of this year, April's mom, Janet, decided to hold a balloon release to mark the 30th anniversary of her daughter's murder, and was surprised and happy when a few dozen people showed up and kind of let balloons fly off into the sky in memory of April. It was a month later, the Fort Wayne Police Department submitted the DNA from those notes from April's underwear to Parabon Nanolabs. And using genealogy databases, basically reverse-engineered a family tree for whoever's DNA profile that was. And narrowed it down to two brothers in the Fort Wayne area. So they track one of the guys to a trailer park in Graybill, which is just outside Fort Wayne. And they pull trash from this location, including three used condoms that this guy had discarded. The probable cause affidavit that was filed last week said that the DNA from the recently obtained condoms matched the DNA from the condoms that were used in those notes in 2004 and matched the genetic profile that was found on April's body. So on Sunday... Just yesterday, a couple of detectives approached this guy. His name is John R. Miller, outside of his trailer. And they asked him to head on down to the police station, have a little chat. They read this guy his Miranda rights. You know, your rights remain silent, that sort of thing. And one of the detectives says, hey, 
you know why we're uh, you know why we're asking you to come on down and talk to us? And this guy, who's now in his sixties, sorry, he's fifty nine. Hey, you know why we're talking to you? You know what he says? April Tinsley. Thirty years after this guy allegedly raped and killed this girl, he knew exactly why they wanted to talk to him. He already showed up in court today, child molestation, murder, criminal confinement. All he said in court today was that he understands the charges, didn't say anything else. Prosecutors in Allen County have until Thursday to file the formal charges. He's being held without bond. According to the court documents today, John Miller confessed after the police said to him, we got your DNA from this condom that was found outside your place on Sunday, or this week, I should say, matches the notes in 2004, matches the crime scene in 1988. And he admitted that he took April, took her back to his trailer, raped her, strangled her to keep her from reporting the rape to police, dumped her body at night. The next day, the next day after he had dumped the body, he drove back past the scene because she hadn't been found yet. And threw that shoe. Remember, he found a shoe in his car. He threw his her shoe out the window. I don't know what he did with the other one. But he finally admitted it, showed up in court today. 30 years ago that April was killed, and today that guy was in court to face murder charges. All right, when we come back, uh, John and Ken coming up next. If you go to the website, if you go to KFIAM640.com, use the keyword Gary and Shannon, a couple of things up there, including you got a plan to take your pet to the beach. you got to know what saltwater poisoning is and how to look for it. Also in San Francisco, more feces in the streetsies. The mayor of San Francisco, the new mayor, says, gosh, I've never seen it piled this high, as if there was an acceptable level of human feces in the streets, apparently. Anyway, that's on the website, kfiam640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Well, goodbye. And don't think it hasn't been a little slice of heaven, because it hasn't. Gary and Shannon.